Pray with me. Triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are holy other. You alone are unique. You alone are worthy. We pray today that you will make your name holy among us. In Christ's name, amen. We know our lives have been truly transformed by the Spirit when our whole life's aim has become exalting Christ. We know our lives have been truly transformed by the Spirit when our whole life's aim becomes exalting Christ. When it is God who is working in us and God who is working through us, and it is Christ we long to exalt, and it is the Word of God that increases and prevails mightily in us and out from us. When was the last time that you stood up and took notice of the transformation in your life because of Jesus? And the change in others around you who belong to him? Do you long to see him do so more and more? In our text today, Luke draws out a particular episode, a specific set of events while Paul ministers in Ephesus for a lengthy time on his third missionary journey, Luke draws out this particular episode to make this point. Spiritual power for changing lives comes not from us trying to wield God for our purposes, but from God wielding us. And the difference is yielding to and exalting Jesus. Read with me Acts 19, beginning in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus, whom or, to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Actually, we don't know of any high priest named Sceva, so that was probably made up too. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled away out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books or scrolls together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of this bonfire and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Rather than trying to use God's power for our own purposes, true evidence of the Spirit's power is lives changed by exalting Christ. God is the one doing the work, and he is not to be used for our own selfish purposes. Rather, through Christ, we are to submit to God and allow him to change us and use us as he sees fit. And as we do that, our lives are transformed and God's word prevails mightily in us and out from us. Let's start at the beginning with what is foundational to all of this. I'm going to introduce the the sections of these verses with questions. Who is the hero of the story? Who's the hero? And God was doing extraordinary miracles, works of power. God was doing extraordinary miracles. God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of the biblical story, and God is the hero of history. How can he not be? God is before and beyond history. He created it, and he will bring it to completion according to his plan. From our perspective, God is writing history, but from his eternal perspective, he has already written history. And then we talk about the Bible being God is the hero of of Scripture. God is the hero of, of Acts, which we've been studying very, very plainly. Acts is written in the style of of the time to describe the works of great men. Only the most appropriate name for this work is Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because even though the mighty deeds are done through the likes of, of Peter and Paul, the true hero is God, Father, Son. And spirit. Unfortunately, there are many in, a, in our world today who have been given a, a Sparknotes version of the Bible, and it's an inaccurate summary. It has twisted the plot and twisted the main characters such that we are the heroes and God is beholden to us. That's a, bare, a very bad summary of Scripture. And there are those who read the Bible who refuse to submit to God's authority in it. And therefore, the transforming power of God's word is not penetrating their hard hearts. God is the hero. So here, Paul is simply an authorized instrument of God's power. There's an intentional mirroring of the work of the Spirit through Paul that reminds us of of Jesus' miracles and those performed by Peter. That's been happening throughout Acts, but, but this is no exception. Remember when we think about Jesus, remember the woman who was healed from 12 years of bleeding, of hemorrhaging, by simply touching the hem of Jesus' robe? Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Well, he was going to heal Jairus' daughter. In the meantime, she dies, and he raises her from the dead. In the, on the process of making his way there, this woman touches the hem of Jesus' robe, and he knows power has left him, and she is completely healed from 12 years of bleeding. That's in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew 9 and Mark 5. 
And then also again in Matthew chapter 14, verses 34 to 36, there's this, this series of, episode, of, of healings where many at Gennesaret are healed by touching the fringe of Jesus' garment. Same thing. Then there were the people in Jerusalem, remember Acts chapter 5, who, who hoped to be healed merely by, by Peter's shadow falling on them as they passed by. They wanted to be as close to the road as they could, hoping that if Peter passed by them, his shadow would fall on them and they would be healed. Now there, it didn't mention people being heal healed by this kind of weird hocus pocus, but here it does. So here, evidently, Paul's work clothes, his headband, the sweatband that he tied around his head, this rag, his do-rag, people carried it off so that somebody could touch it and, and they were healed. Or Paul's apron, his, his outer cloak when he's working, working with leather, making tents, they, they take it off probably without Paul's permission and people are being healed. It's crazy. The demon possessed are dispossessed and freed. Even though this is a reflection of a city in which too much is made of magical and mystical beliefs, which has pagan roots, yet God is pleased by his spirit to heal these people in order to draw attention to the gospel that Paul preaches. But the point of the miraculous is certainly not to elevate Paul, except to recognize the authority granted him by Jesus and the work of his spirit through him. I want you to notice, too, that it doesn't say anywhere that Paul's promoting this practice of people taking stuff off to be healed by his sweat rag. Nor does he make a show out of the miraculous. Think about this a minute. Did Paul ever make a show out of performing miracles? Did Peter ever make a show out of performing miracles? Hang on. Did Jesus ever make a show out of the ability to perform miracles contrary to nature. Jesus never made a show out of it. He healed people to draw attention to his ability to spiritually heal them. These miracles demonstrate God's common grace to mankind in that they're there's some benefit to some who might not specifically believe in Jesus for salvation, at least not, not immediately. And it also shows unequivocally the unlimited sovereign power of God over all created things, and, and God showing mercy, and God restraining evil, and even reversing the effects of evil, of the fall, when and how he chooses. To summarize, though, this the transformational power of the Spirit is at work in us when we realize that God is the hero and we are his instruments to use as he pleases. It's wrong-headed and dangerous to think ourselves the hero and to try to use Christ's power for our own purposes. And that's where this episode in Ephesus goes next. As God works wonders through Paul, why are the sons of Sceva impotent? These are traveling Jewish exorcists. They're, they're trying to use to, to invoke the name of and the power of, of whatever spirit might be more powerful than the spirit that they, they seek to cast out. 
And so they view Jesus as, wow, like the most powerful spirit that Paul's uh, uh, somehow uh, invoking. And so we also want to invoke this Jesus. I want you to notice, too, that this is how they make their living. They are traveling Jewish exorcists. You pay them. They try to cast out spirits. Now, if that doesn't raise your eyebrows, spiritual influence to make money. We can tell that they have a wrong posture towards Jesus by the way they seek to cast out demons. They do say, I adjure you, which is to authoritatively bind someone to an oath. They seek to authoritatively bind them to come out. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. This is weird. By the Jesus whom this other guy proclaims. Can you spot the clear wrongheadedness of this? I don't really know this Jesus, and I'm not particularly certain as to why he is so powerful of a being, but I can tell by Paul's works that there must be some great power associated with this Jesus that Paul preaches, that Paul announces, that Paul heralds. The sons of Sceva are powerless because rather than submitting to God through repentance and faith in Jesus, they desire to use the name of Jesus for their own purposes. Have you heard me say that a few times? For their own purposes? Trying to use God for our purposes? But because of that, they lack authority. Their unauthorized use of the name of Jesus is proven by the reaction of one particular evil spirit. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. The first no is an experiential knowledge. Jesus I know, and Paul I, I recognize means to be, be cognizant or aware of due to specific facts and information. So this This demon has clear knowledge of who Jesus is and is aware that God has been using Paul for his purposes. But who are you? Who are you to think that you have any power and authority over me? And then he proceeds to prove that they do not. It is wrongheaded, even dangerous to use Jesus to exalt oneself. Now, in our text, this is proven by the result of this demonic encounter for these Jewish exorcists, that it is dangerous to use Jesus to exalt oneself, and then also the way that it, the the result of it, the way that it impacts others. So what is significant, what's the significant result of the embarrassment of these exorcists? First, What's the embarrassing result of this unauthorized attempt at using Jesus' name? The man with the evil spirit masters them and overpowers them. He dominates them, and he proves his strength over them, one against seven. He gives them such a thrashing that they must flee or escape the house, already having their clothes torn from them and being wounded. Wounded means seriously injured often resulting in scarring or other permanent marking. The Greek word is traumatizo. We use the word to traumatized to refer to like the emotional scarring that happens in our lives from real trauma, right? Mental and emotional scarring in our lives. So appropriately, it comes from this Greek word that means to be like very wounded, to have lasting injury. 
These guys will never be the same. They will not soon forget, and neither will others who witness it and hear about it. It becomes known all over Ephesus, known, ascertained with certainty. Everybody knows in Ephesus that Jesus is not merely a means to an end. He is exalted Lord. The sons of Sceva wanted to, to wield Jesus for their own purposes, but that cannot be allowed because us ruling our own lives, even in fact ruling over Jesus, is not the gospel. God can't be both the Lord of the universe who is perfect and eternal and at the same time bow to the whims of his creatures. Let me tell you again why it's not the gospel for us to get to use God for our purposes. God cannot be the Lord of the universe who is perfect and eternal and at the same time bow to the whims of his creatures. God can't be your Santa Claus, the name of Jesus, your magic wand, who just wants to make you prosper in ways that you see fit, in the ways that you demand. No, Jesus is Lord, and we bow to him. Yahweh is God, and there is no other. But then the result of this fear of God is, is to put into the people, or the fear of God put into the people, is that the name of Jesus is extolled. To extolled means to increase honor, to magnify, to cause some, someone or something, someone to be held in greater esteem, conceived of as, as physically enlarging. And this to oneself and to others. Jesus is, is enlarged to me and to other people. So Jesus is the means to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, but the name of Jesus is not a magic wand. He is the exalted Lord. What is the evidence in our text of, of people exalting Christ and submitting to him? I'm, I'm telling you, the text says Jesus was extolled, and then we see how it plays out. What's the evidence that Jesus is actually exalted in people's lives and that they're submitting to him? They change. The great impact of faith on the lifestyle of those who believe is the evidence. Rightly exalting Jesus transforms lives. There was a whole lot of magical nonsense that was pervasive in the lives of these Ephesians. According to the IVP Bible background commentary, Ephesus was widely reputed for its trade in magic and, and the need for ex exorcisms and protection against evil spirits. Well, it's no wonder with as much as they tinker with evil. What's more, these, these magical papyri, the little scrolls with incantations, were so common in Ephesus that rolls of these formulas became known as Ephesia Grammata, or Ephesian writings in other Greco-Roman literature. So when you wanted to talk about magical inc incantations put into writing, magical instructions in writing, they were called Ephesian writings. That's how bad it was. But many who were now believers as a result of responding to Jesus when Paul proclaimed the gospel, 
They came confessing and disclosing their deeds, their activities, their past transactions and business in the magical arts. Because of a new fear of God brought even further to their attention, as opposed to this wickedness and trickery, if they were now bringing these things to light and confessing them, what is it that they now believe to be true about this magic? They believe it to be false, and they believe it to be evil, both things. There are aspects of it that are false, and there are aspects of it that are real, but grounded in evil. To prove their repentance of such things, they, they take these books, the scrolls of magical incantations and instructions, and they build a bonfire out of them as a way to repudiate the contents. This is a big fire. They do it so everyone can see, and somebody evidently spearheaded accounting the value of all that was burned, and it was equivalent to 50,000 days wages for an average worker. 50,000 days wages. If you tried to uh, modernize the concept in American currency, as the ESV study Bible does in a footnote, this is their modernization of how much this value was. At $15 US per hour or $120 per day, 50,000 drachmas would be equivalent to approximately $6 million in today's currency. Six million bucks they burned. because of the change in their lives through Jesus Christ. The point about the overall amount or value is to reinforce the dramatic change brought about in people's lives. God's power changing Christ's people. Evidence of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is change, ongoing repentance and submission to Christ. You will not suddenly be perfect but there will be progress. There will be evidence. Your assurance and reassurance is the evidence of the Spirit at work in your life, changing you and using you. And now finally, verse 20, how is the word of the Lord central to God's power at work? So in the, this is my revision or uh, restatement of of the order of verse 20. So in controlling power, did the word of the Lord keep increasing, growing, spreading, and becoming strong, healthy, and sufficient for the task? It would be pushing our context, our context onto their context too much for us to think of this as, as these other books now burned versus this book, the Bible. The compilation of these writings together was not yet complete or was as yet incomplete because these New Testament authors in apostolic authority were still composing some of them. So it's not a one-to-one -one correlation of, of these writings versus this scripture that we have now, but, but you should see a connection because the emphasis is on the impotence and the idolatry in these magical incantations now being where they belong on the burn pile versus the perfect and enduring word of God's message to mankind, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
what the Bible is about. So we see that the word of the Lord is central to God's power at work because God's glory to save some through submission to Jesus is the central message. Luke continues to give glory to God and his word rather than to any human skill, knowledge, or effort. Even the miracles of the apostles are for the purpose of gaining a hearing for the gospel, the word of the Lord. And it is the word of the Lord that people must hear and repent and believe in order to be saved. And it is the word of the Lord that God uses to bring us into growing dependence, maturity, and usefulness. It is the word of the Lord that God uses to bring us into growing dependence, maturity, and usefulness. So too, the word remains central to God's ministry through the church, which is Christ's people. The word of the Lord, the gospel prevailing, is the power that changes people. And we are most aligned with God's work when we are most submissive to his word. I'm going to say those two things again. The word of the Lord prevailing is the power that changes people. And we are most aligned with God's work when we are most submissive to his word. The problem is trying to stand in authority over God's word instead of humbly kneeling under God's authority. And that wrong posture is revealed in our text by the behavior, particularly from the sons of Sceva. But by contrast, Paul and all those who submit to Jesus that Paul proclaims, they exalt Christ in their hearts and they make it their aim to exalt Christ before others. And that is the word of the Lord prevailing. So we've already seen this morning that God is the hero of the biblical story, and that the work of the Spirit is not to elevate us, but to elevate Christ. And the goal is for the word of the Lord to prevail mightily in people's hearts and lives. And so as we wrap it up, I want to ask you to think about these things as application for your life from this text. I want you to think about who the hero is and his intention for the fruit in your life. The three most significant lines in this episode in Ephesus are these, and God was doing extraordinary miracles, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The hero of the story is clearly God, God working mightily through his spirit so that Christ will be exalted in us and out from us. So a right versus a wrong response to Jesus reminds us that Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Matthew 7, 16. And as he's speaking of, of false prophets, he meant that the fruit of their lives will ultimately expose them. And your fruit will expose you as either truly belonging to Christ or merely trying to use Jesus while it suits your purposes without true submission. So examine your heart and life. Is Jesus the hero of your story? Even if no other person around you figures out your falsehood, the Bible says that God sees even your thoughts and your motives. God knows falsehood, and his knowledge of you is the only one that counts. 
God's knowledge of you is the only one that counts. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 15 to the Corinthian church, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Beware of your own heart. That's our first application. Beware of your own heart and test to see whether you are indeed in Christ. Is Jesus the hero of your life? And beware of others who would use Jesus for their own purposes but are not truly submitting to his lordship through personal faith. Beware of charlatans. What are the characteristics that mark the false followers and false teachers? What are some of the warning signs of charlatans that I, I, think, I think of them just from this text? Why do they deliberately make a show of the signs they are doing? I want you to now think of our context. Some of the warning signs of charlatans are that they deliberately make a show of the signs that they are doing. They want thousands of people to witness the signs that they do from the stage. Again, did Paul do that? Did Peter do that? Did Jesus do that? Was Paul making an effort to sensationalize this in any way? Or is this simply the degree to which God was working? A second warning sign besides making a deliberate show is, why is there an emphasis on giving to their ministry specifically to receive God's blessing? If you look behind the scenes, do you notice personal gain? especially financially. The false want to use Jesus' name as a talisman, as a means to their own end. They want to use the work of the Spirit for personal gain. And finally, why do they frequently band together with other people of questionable theology? In other words, sometimes you might ask yourself, well, I don't... I mean, you'll, you'll see them making excuses for their own thing, behavior and things that they've said and done. And then I, I, I do want you to notice that they frequently band together with other popular people who also have questionable theology. Why is that? That should be a warning sign to us. Even if they are well-intentioned, you think, do not ignore the red flags. Whether they are immature believers, which is unlikely in an elevated leadership role, but it's not impossible, but unlikely, just being immature believers, or whether they are masquerading unbelievers and empowered by the forces of evil, we should find and follow servant leaders who are exalting Christ and not themselves. I have three daughters, and so I'm going to tell you this again, young men, that you need to be a man who exalts Christ first not who impresses the girl first, not who makes her feel like the greatest princess in the world. Her concern is whether or not you are exalting Christ, or it should be. Girls, don't be impressed 
that he can say sweet things. Don't be impressed that he pays a lot of attention to you. You care more, ladies, that he pays a lot of attention to the will of God through Jesus Christ. See, charlatans don't do that, or the immature don't do that. Finally, you might ask yourself, can Christ bear substantial fruit through me? Of course he can. The question is whether you will submit your will to God to use you as he sees fit. You don't get to determine what him using you mightily or greatly looks like. That's all in his hands. We can't be the apostles Peter and Paul, but we do have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to change our lives and to use us to exalt Christ. When we recognize Jesus as the hero, our lives change in submission to him. Those with no true faith in Jesus cannot claim his authority over the spiritual forces of evil. But true believers are known by their fruit. They yearn to exalt Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we need you to help us exalt Jesus. We confess that in our sin, we, we've made all of this about us. In fact, I, I completely believe that, that one of the things Jesus says when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, we're so burdened with our own self-absorption. And you offer to take that away from us by saying, this is not about you, it's about me. And I will be glorified and you will be exalted through humility. And so, God, we pray that you will help us to humble ourselves and see our need for the first time to put our faith in Jesus and also daily. Help us to exalt Christ. Help us to be, to be aware of those who are not exalting Christ but aim to exalt themselves. Help us to be people who desire to see your word prevail mightily in our life and in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. If you sing that song with sincerity, looking forward to your eternal hope, it's because God has graciously allowed you to taste and see already that God is good. If you would taste and see that God is good, repent and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ can restore you to God in spite of your sinfulness. If you will confess your sin and your inability and turn to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he will not cast you out. He will bring you to God. Let's close again in prayer. Father, we pray for the work of your spirit here to convict, to 
to grant faith. Thank you that you are making a people for your own possession. Thank you that we get to be among those people. And thank you that we know where all of this is headed. That you are the hero whom will never disappoint us. Help us to go from here, exalting you as the hero in our own hearts and telling others that you can be their hero too. In Jesus' name. Amen.